electronics working. There's an old hymn entitled Precious Memories. I don't remember all the words, but it says precious memories, unseen angels sent from somewhere to my soul. I've never spoken to this particular minister group in Los Angeles or whatever part of it you call yourself. But there are many, many memories being here today because even though I've not spoken to you in this configuration, many of you we've met and crossed paths in other places. Uh, I was talking to Wendy Hammond earlier. And uh, she and her now hubby were college kids in our family group, or whatever we called it in those days, in uh, San Diego. And many of the kids that were in our family group ended up married. Uh, And I think maybe a part of that was they saw what Teresa and I had and wanted it. And that was a good thing to imitate. There's so many of you that I've known in different settings. Uh, I met Steve May when he was a young college kid as well, and Kevin. And they were in San Diego, and I remember Steve getting time with him fairly soon after I moved there. And I thought to myself, this is really a pure-hearted guy. This is a Nathaniel sort of fellow. And he was. And uh, all those memories, many memories uh, with the mantles. Uh, John is kind of my go-to guy. When I'm in the pits, uh, I often talk to John, and he helps me get out. And John and Nancy have been dear friends for so many years. Mike and Libby, we knew not when they were college kids, but when they were a young married couple. And uh, I found out very quickly that he had a lot in common with Teresa and me. Uh, The two marriages are very much alike. The guys are a mess. But boy, they got good wives. Uh, A lot in common there. I appreciated his introduction. Sometimes I hear introductions before I speak and I think, who in the world are they talking about? If they only knew. Sometimes I feel like after some introductions, and I say this often actually, that my prayer is I would love to become the person you already think I am. And I mean that in all sincerity. We all know what a mess we are inside and what we struggle with, and God knows all of that. Uh, But we see there's good in us. Other people see that better than we do, most of us. Anyway, it's a, it's a great privilege to be here. Uh, it really is. The, the service so far has been great. That's what Mike said before I got up. It basically, it's been a great service. Don't mess it up. I, I know him well. I can tell you stories. I suspect you could tell me a few as well. But you got a great staff here. Uh, you really, really do. And so uh, it's a privilege to be with them and to be with you. Okay, you are starting a study on the Holy Spirit that's going to last six weeks. And so my uh, job today is to sort of get it started, to give you a little introduction to the subject. And then Mike says you're going to be talking about it in sermons and and all kinds of other lessons and settings. And so would I give you an introduction? And I'll be happy to do that as best I can. It's hard to give an introduction to a very, very broad subject uh, without wanting to delve into too much of the subject itself. But we have some uh, uh, slides here, so let's put one up. Oh, there we go. The nature and work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, That's what uh, we call a series. Actually, I don't know what all is out there at the book table, but this is one of them. And I have a lot of things like this that are either video or audio. uh, And there are lessons uh, in here that are audio lessons, most of them MP3 format. And then there's usually an outline, a word doc. 
And so I think uh, this one has eight audio lessons, 17-page uh, detailed outline, the nature of the Holy Spirit, a study of non-miraculous gifts, or rather miraculous gifts of the Spirit, two lessons, baptism with the Holy Spirit, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, the unforgivable sin as we call it, and uh, then three lessons on the Holy Spirit and man's salvation. So uh, a lot available on these, and uh, I'm not good at selling books. Uh, I don't often have a book signing, but Tony Mulholland with... Uh, IPI says, Gordon, you got to do better. Uh, you need to have some book signings and all of that, and I just somehow that doesn't work well with me. Uh, I can't hold a candle to Doug Jacoby. That dude can hawk books. And uh, I, I'm just in awe of that. For some reason, I, I can't do that as well. But I will go back today and sign books if you buy them. I do have a, a book that's been out of print for a long time. Uh, it was under a different title back then, but now it's called uh, World Changers. It's a practical exposition of the book of Acts. And so it's been updated and redone and all of that. And uh, I feel sure there should be some of those back there. But at any rate, I will be back there after the service. But uh, as we think about the work of the, the nature and work of the Holy Spirit, uh, we think about the next slide, which says... Basically, the starting place. The Holy Spirit is a person. Uh, we talk about He, not It. And I think some people are confused about that. When they speak of the Holy Spirit, they do not see Him in the way that the Bible describes Him. And they don't understand what He does today in our lives, uh, which I think I end up thinking He is definitely the most active agent of the Godhead or of the Trinity, the most active agent in our lives personally. Now, can I explain everything He does? No. Do I know how it all works? No. That's the good of it. Uh, sometimes people say, well, even the idea of the Trinity is confusing. I know one religious group, and they quote 1 Corinthians 14, and it says that God is not the author of confusion. Of course, the context is in a totally different subject, but they say since the Trinity is confusing, it can be true. And I'm thinking, wow, what a place to start in your theology about God. If you could understand God, uh, you wouldn't be on this planet. I don't know where you would be, but you wouldn't be on this planet. And, and so we have to understand that the subject itself of God, whether we're talking about the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit, does a whole bunch more about that that I don't know uh, than that I do know. Next slide. Uh, the reason it's easy to show biblically that the Holy Spirit is a person is because of all of the things said about Him. And these are only a few, but these are quite a few. He can be lied to. Ananias and Sapphira in chapter 5 of Acts uh, lied. Peter said, what put it in your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Next point. Uh, he can be blasphemed against. That's one of the subjects uh, on this, about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. But you can blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, a person. Next slide. Keep them moving. I'm going to have to go pretty fast here. He can be resisted. Uh, Stephen, as he preached that sermon in Acts 7, he says, you, you're resisting the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit was inspiring him to speak the message, and he said, you're just like your daddies who always resisted the prophets that God sent to them, and you're just like them, you are resisting the Holy Spirit. You can resist a person, and that's what the Spirit is. He teaches, and we'll talk more about this one, but it says in John 14, 26, the promise to the apostles, He will teach you all things. And so He is a teacher. Uh, am a teacher. I wish I could teach like him, but he is a teacher. He spoke directions for evangelism in Acts chapter 13. He said, in that place separate Paul and Barnabas, Saul as he was called at that point, Saul and Barnabas to do the work for which I have called them. And so the Spirit directly called them and gave them directions for evangelism. Next point. He leads the children of God, and there is much in the Bible about that. He leads us. How does he do that? Well, through the Word, obviously, that he inspired. We'll get on that in a moment. But he leads in other ways. 
And I don't know exactly how it takes place, but I just believe it with all of my heart. I've got thousands of stories. That makes Mike nervous about the length of the sermon. Uh, but I've got thousands of stories of things that have happened in my life, and there's no explanation except God is in the middle of it. And as I understand how God works in our lives, the Holy Spirit, therefore, is in the middle of it. Amazing things that leave me scratching my head. And so, I, I think sometimes some people go in places I'm not comfortable with. Well, the Holy Spirit led me to do this, or the Holy Spirit led me to do that, and I'm not too sure which spirit it was, the Holy Spirit or the other one. Uh, so many times, I can think the Spirit is leading me, and I look back and realize, well, maybe it was the other spirit, but time proves all things. And many times we look back and we realize, as Jacob did after he met with God and wrestled with him, he said, surely the hand of God was with me in that place, and I did not know it. But later he knew it. Later he looked back and realized that God was the one doing the work. And very often as we look back, even in times that we think are terrible, we look back and God was in the middle of that thing, and we thank God that he did not answer that prayer. We pray, take this away from me. Get this cup out of here. And God didn't answer the prayer. And later we think, wow, I am happy he did not. So sometimes, you know, we might better wait a little while to decide which spirit was leading us. But there's no question that he does. And he does often. And he does in ways that we probably aren't aware of most of the time. You know, a lot of people look at the miraculous gifts of the Spirit and they think, wow, isn't this incredible? I wish I could do this or that today. The truth is, the greatest miracles that God has ever done or ever will do are not those. Walking on the water, yeah, that was cool. I would like to have seen it. And I'd have probably been like impetuous Peter and jumped out and sunk too. Uh, but... Uh, those miracles aren't the impressive ones to me. The impressive ones are the thousands upon thousands upon thousands of little details that God has to work on behind the scenes to do in your life and mine what he is doing. Those are the miracles. Every conversion story is a miracle. I've traveled all over the world. I've been off the church staff now for almost four years. Uh, I've got a couple of training schools, leadership training schools, one in Kiev, one in Asia. I'm traveling all over the world, and I hear these stories about conversions. And I could spend hours just telling those. Unbelievable. I hear those, and every time I'm thinking, what a miracle. Every conversion story is a miracle. And so I know God is always leading us. Next slide. He helps us by interceding for us with the Father. Romans 8. That is a comforting verse. He says sometimes we don't even know how to pray, but the Spirit intercedes for us with the Father. I'm grateful that He does that because sometimes I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to pray. I'm just confused. But the Spirit always knows what is in the deeper part of our hearts that maybe we don't know. And He expresses those deepest thoughts to God. Next point. We have fellowship with the Spirit. We'll look at that one a bit later and in the uh, study with it. But it talks about having fellowship with the Father, Son, and Spirit. The Trinity is mentioned in this passage. And it says that we have fellowship with the Spirit. He's a He. Uh, you can't have fellowship uh, with a, uh, a sound system, although I wondered about a few sound guys that I knew. But uh, you basically can't have a, uh, a relationship with anyone besides a person. Next one. He can be grieved. In Ephesians 4, it talks about grieving the Holy Spirit by what we say, especially about one another or to one another. It grieves God, it grieves the Holy Spirit when we are not being as brothers and sisters as God wants us to be. And anyone who has children understands that perfectly. I've got grandchildren now. And when those little dudes aren't getting along together, it's an unhappy time for the one that is looking on. 
we want our children, our grandchildren, our friends to be getting along and loving deeply. And that's what the Holy Spirit wants as he sees us. Next one. Uh, he clearly says that an aband- uh, abandonment of the faith would come. First uh, Timothy 4, he predicted a falling away. The Spirit clearly says that there's going to be a falling away. And so that was one of the warnings and the cautions uh, that Paul gave uh, to Timothy. Next one. The Spirit testifies. That's in Hebrews chapter 10. And he was testifying really about the new covenant that Jesus brought us. But the Spirit testifies. Go ahead. Let's run through a few of these quickly here. Uh, Well, we didn't get fathered. Now, speaking of the Spirit being a person, there are two persons. And tomorrow is our 47th anniversary. this woman. I met her when we were 12 in the 7th grade. Midway Junior High, Shreveport, Louisiana. Just if you were wondering where this accent comes from, that's it. Uh, Got married uh, between our last two semesters in college. Uh, We had quite a ride together. Uh, I I love this woman. Uh, I love her deeply. People think we're newlyweds when we go on cruises. Uh, And God designed it to be that way, that relationships grow. Now, that, that helps us. Marriage helps us understand our relationship to God because sometimes we get stale as everything with God, right? Sometimes we get mad at God. Sometimes we question God. Everyone goes through that. It's a relationship thing. But you redo it, and you work it out. And my wife and I have done that, I have no idea how many times in 47 years, and then the four years dating before that, but we've worked out a lot of things. And uh, I'm blessed uh, to have an angel that lives with me. God knew it was going to take a lot to get me and Mike to heaven. And uh, so he, he gave us angels. And uh, that is how I view my wife. She is angelic. Sometimes we'd be praying, confessing our sins together, and I'm thinking, gee, I wish that's all I had to say. I mean, in her mind, that's the worst thing she can think of. And I'm thinking, gee, what am I doing in this prayer session? But uh, anyway, she's a great one. She would love to be here. I'll bring her back sometime. She's, uh, she is a delight. An amazing woman. I get people in trouble talking about her. You know, I, I did a teaching day in Phoenix. That's where I have a house. Got an apartment in Houston. We're helping the church out in Houston. I'm an interim lead evangelist at my age. Now, Mike's trying to mess me around. He told a guy earlier I was 70 years old. Man, that, that was insulting. I won't be 70 for nine months. But uh, at any rate, we're in Houston a lot now, but uh, I, I was doing teaching day in Phoenix where I have a house and was on staff there for a number of years. And uh, I had one wife, staff woman, that went on to her husband, and she said, I counted. And the four lessons Gordon did, I counted. He mentioned Teresa 56 times. You hardly ever mentioned me. I said, bro, what can I say? I mean, I'm delighted with this gal. I've never been bored with her. She's a house of fire. People call her the Energizer Bunny. I, I mean, I never know what she's going to do next. I don't know what she's She's doing something all the time. People call me, is your wife at home? No. Where is she? I don't have a clue. <laughs> Now, if she were here, she'd say, yeah, part of that is you don't listen very well either. (laughs) Anyway, move on. Uh, The popular concept 
is basically, when you think about the Trinity, you think about the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, sort of like that. They're sort of separate. The Father's big, the Son's a little smaller, and the Spirit, we got Him down in a small little circle here. But now, a more biblical thought is the next slide. And that is, the three are together, the Father, Son, and the Spirit, working together in a beautiful way. I'm not sure exactly how to describe it, but throw up the next uh, slide there. Uh, For children, you have to help them understand. And so you talk about an egg is made up of three parts. That's helpful. A shell, a white, and the yolk, and it's one egg. And so that helps kids. Sometimes that helps me. I'm a kid. Uh, Matches, if you lit three and held them together, there would be three stems that you could see, but it would be one flame. And then, of course, water comes in three different forms. liquid ice and vapor and so you can say still water but in different forms Uh, okay the next one uh, the spirit is deity Uh, jump through that one okay the bible makes it clear there's only one god makes it equally clear that the one god has a threefold personality the father the son and the holy spirit and then a quotation from a book and i'll read this one I thought this said it about as well as it can be said. We do not affirm that God is three gods. We affirm that there is but one infinite spirit being, but within that one spirit essence there are three personal distinctions, each of which may be and is called God. Each capable of loving and being loved by the others, each having a distinct but not separate part to play in the creation of the universe and in the creation and salvation of man. That is well said. Now, do I understand everything about that and how that can work? No, no, no. But it's still said well. It gets about as close to it as I think we can. You know, in the part, someone suggested this once and really appealed to me. He said, when you look at the creation of the universe and how the Godhead worked together, God, the Father, was sort of the one with the plan. It was because of His will that things were created. And then Jesus, John 1 tells us, was the agent of creation. All things were made by Him. There was not anything made except what was made by Him. And then the Spirit was the perfecter of it. And so the Spirit hovered over the face of the deep after uh, the world came into existence and brought it into a perfected state. Now, the same thing happened with God's spiritual creation, the church, right? It was God's will that the church come into being, Ephesians 4. And then Jesus came down as the agent of creation in the flesh and helped get all the pieces in place. But he said, it's not done yet. I'm going back to heaven. And then the Spirit comes. And then he brings it all into perfection. Now, if that's what the Spirit does, what did you have to agree just from a logical standpoint? That the most active part of deity that works in your life every day is the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's only logical if you look at how things were done in the physical creation and then the spiritual creation of the church. It would only be logical that the Spirit is the most active part of what's going on in our life on a day-to-day basis. Next slide. Uh, The Holy Spirit and man's salvation. I mean, if Jesus came to seek and save the lost, you know what the Holy Spirit's all about, right? The outpouring of the Spirit was promised in Joel 2. It was fulfilled in Acts 2, uh, which led then to the indwelling of the Spirit. And then there's another passage you can look at later and look up, but it's uh, in Ezekiel chapter 36. And in this one, he is prophesying that the people in captivity were going to go back into their land, and at some point, there is an indwelling spirit. I'm going to put my spirit in you and move you to keep God's laws and do the right thing. It's very, very similar in that respect to what is said in Jeremiah 31, that's quoted in Hebrews chapter 8 and chapter 10, about the spirit coming into our lives, indwelling us, and in Enabling us to really live the life that God has called us to live. But God describes that in Ezekiel 36. 
And the, I turn to this passage a lot for a different reason. But God says, I'm going to put you back in the land. I'm going to really bless you. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. I think you're looking forward to the, the new age with Jesus. But then at the end of it, in Ezekiel 36, 31, it says, Then you will remember your evil ways and wicked deeds, and you will loathe yourselves for your sins and detestable practices. The reason I go to that a lot is because it describes tremendous blessings that take place before that. But he says, after God blesses you, then... It dawns on you where you really are with your sin. You know why we need that? Because sometimes we give up on people. Sometimes we give up on ourselves. We think we can't do it. I remember thinking every time my wife dragged me to church. I was always dragged to church, you know, my, my woman. My mama dragged me for 18 years and then... I got a wife and she wanted to go and I wanted to go fishing. It's a long story. But I remember thinking it was impossible for a guy with me and my background and my sin to ever get right with God. And I remember where I was sitting as a young married guy the time that it first dawned on me that maybe, maybe, God could change me. It was a very emotional moment. The only time I ever had that thought before then. Uh, I never had it before then. But you see, sometimes we give up. And that's where grace comes in. Romans 2 said, By God's grace, He intends to move you to repentance. And sometimes there are people you're working with, and you think they're not coming to repentance. But grace helps them come to repentance. And so we got to show grace, but sometimes we need to show it to ourselves and not give up on ourselves. But it's often after God's blessings that actually everything sort of falls into place. And we realize, and then we really get it going with God. The bottom line is, we can do with the Spirit what we could never do without it. Romans 8, that's a good passage. Let me read that one. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life, the gospel, set me free from the law of sin and death. That's the law Adam and Eve were under. When you sin, you die. Everyone's under that if they don't become a Christian. For what the law was powerless to do, and that it was weakened by the sinful nature God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, uh, and uh, He also, uh, in the likeness of sinful man, to be a sin offering. Back in King James there, so help me. And so, He condemned sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. He's saying that the Spirit helps us live up to God's plan for our lives. We don't do do it perfectly, but we do it faithfully. And we do it in a way that makes God smile in spite of ourselves. Next slide. Uh, The Spirit, how does the Spirit work with the message of salvation? The message that we call the Bible was inspired by the Spirit, but then we ask the question, what is inspiration? You know, this is a needed lesson. Fewer and fewer seminaries in America are putting on their website that the Bible is the inspired and errant Word of God. It's hard to find that. Uh, when I first started praying for ministry back in the uh, 70s, I think 1970, uh, man... Most schools were very strong on the Bible being the inspired and errant Word of God. That has slipped a long way with many people. It hadn't budged an inch or a fraction with me. I believe the Bible really is the inspired Word of God. In Ephesians 3, 
Paul writes, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you, that is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. And so Paul said, God revealed the message to me, and through the inspiration and guidance of the Holy Spirit, I wrote it down, and when you read it, you can understand exactly what I understand. I love that about the Bible. People say, well, you can't really understand the Bible. Well, uh, I think you can understand most of it pretty easily. Are there hard parts that are difficult to understand? A few, yes. But those are not the ones that worry me. The ones that worry me are the ones I understand all too well and find so doggone challenging to live. But it can be understood because God inspired it. Next passage. Uh, we know this one. It's in a study that we do on the Word of God. But listen to it. We, uh, again, and we have the word of the prophets made more certain. And you'll do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, you're up at night now this time of the year. It gets uh, daylight late. And so I start off my prayer walk many times in the dark. And then I watch it get daylight. It's a cool time of day. And I remember what uh, God said about walking in the cool of the day uh, in the garden. Uh, after Adam and Eve had messed up, unfortunately. But anyway, I often say to God, Lord, it's so good to be out in the cool of the morning walking and talking with you. Just makes my heart feel good. And so that's what we do with God, and the, the day star arises, the morning star. That would be Jesus. And that's the way the Word works, you know. You're studying the Bible, it's just words. It's black and white on paper. And you're studying it, and it's not really getting through. And then all of a sudden, you have one of those aha moments. Wow. I see passages still that I've read hundreds of times. And I'm reading them, and I think, I've never seen this before. Well, it's because I've never been where I am before, and I needed it today, and it just comes alive. It's like the sun coming up, and I think, wow, God, look at this. You see this? God said, yeah, I think I do. But it just speaks to your heart. And then he goes on down and explains it. He said, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. It didn't come out of his little brain. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's the process of inspiration. You know, up until the 1800s, everyone thought that the Bible was a record of God reaching out for men. And then we had some real uh, intelligent fellows in Germany. I won't give you their long names. Not sure I can say them. Uh, not sure I want to say them. But there were some uh, theologians in the 1800s that started applying the theory of evolution to the Bible. And they said, no, the Bible is actually a product of men's thinking. And it describes man's search for God. The very opposite of what the Bible claims. The Bible says, oh no, this is God in his search for men. That's what the inspired word is, and the Holy Spirit is the one who inspired these men to do it. Next slide. Uh, some questions about inspiration in the message. Did everything in the Bible have to be revealed? And the answer to that is actually no. Uh, you didn't have to have it revealed to know who was the emperor. You didn't have to have it revealed to know something about geography or politics or a number of other things. The thing that was revealed was the spiritual message, but the Holy Spirit, through the process that we call inspiration, protected the speaking of it and the writing of it 
so that they took the spiritual revelation that God gave them through the Spirit, plus the things that were commonly known, and protected it so that when it was written down, it would be accurate. That's the process of inspiration. But the spiritual part obviously had to be given. That was uh, found in the Ephesians passage that we looked at. Another question. Uh, are all promises regarding the Spirit applied to all men? And again, I would say to that, no, some are only applicable to the apostles. You need to keep that in mind. Okay, uh, I think the verse is on this one. Is the verse on this one? Yeah. But the Counselor, this is John 14, But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. That's written to the apostles to give them reassurance and comfort as he was about to ascend back to heaven. So every passage is not written to you or me uh, on the other hand. I think God does through the Spirit work in our lives in at least a practical way that's very, very similar to that. And I've seen that many times. I can remember times when I've been trying to help somebody, either in a study to get them to be a Christian or somebody that's going through a hard time, and I'm studying with them and I am flat out stumped. I have tried everything that I know to do. I've said everything that I think should get through to this guy's heart. And uh, so finally, I'm scratching my head, and I, and I tell him, this is my standard procedure. Listen, I'll be back in a minute. I need to run to the bathroom. And, and it does happen, and the older you get, it happens a lot. Uh, but anyway, I, I do, in all honesty, I go ahead and go to the bathroom, just so I'll be honest. But while I'm on the way, and in there, and coming out, I'm praying, God, I don't know what to do. This person obviously is in a bad place. They really need some help. I don't know what to do. Please, help me out. And I've had this happen so many times, it can't be coincidental. It's not a brain issue. But I go and I sit down, and all of a sudden I say something or ask a question, and boom. The whole thing gets solved in the next ten minutes. And I'm thinking, thank you, Jesus. Wow. So I know that there are many times God does things. I don't know exactly how he does all that. I don't have to know. I'm just praying for him to do it. And he's done it uh, thousands of times in my life. Next passage. Uh, are the red letter words of Jesus more inspired and more important than the rest of the New Testament? I run into this one a lot with people. They wonder, you know, well, the red letter words are the ones that matter to me. I, I'm big on the red letter words. Paul stuff's pretty good. Peter stuff, uh, you know, people think like that. But, now here's what Jesus said in that passage. I, he's talking to the apostles, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. You study that little passage out. That says that the whole New Testament is equally inspired. And when you're reading something from Peter, Peter's the guy that maybe wrote it down, but the Spirit inspired it, and he got it from Jesus, who got it from the Father. And so it is all red-letter words in my mind. I've got a few red-letter editions. I, don't, I like red, my favorite color. Well, my wife wears it all the time. But anyway... Uh, the words are equally inspired by the Spirit. Next passage. Sent by the Spirit. Uh, once the Spirit came on Pentecost, what did He do? He sent the apostles and the early church into all the world. That's Acts 1 through 8 and beyond. Jesus said in Acts 1, you're going to start off in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. 
Now, they didn't know much about the timing of that, and God had to help them along with the killing of the first uh, martyr in, uh, in uh, Acts 7 or 8, but uh, he, he got all of that done. The Holy Spirit was the one guiding the evangelization of the world. And guess what? There's going to be some application to you and me. Next passage, or next point. The Spirit offers the invitation to salvation. The Spirit and the bride say, come. That's the uh, sort of the last mention of the Great Commission in the Bible, which is Revelation 22:17. And he said, let him who hears, who responds to the Spirit and the bride. The bride is the church. So the Spirit through the church is saying, come. And those that listen and come and become Christians, let them say, come. Because God wants everyone saved. It's a beautiful way to put the Great Commission as God closes out the revelation. But now, the next thing is, uh, the Spirit loves to preach. I mean, that's what He came for, right? The Spirit loves to preach. Well, if the Spirit is in you and me, guess what? He can only preach through those whom He indwells. For every conversion story here... Somebody talked to you. Somebody allowed the Spirit to speak. And the thing that sometimes plagues me is, what if that person didn't speak to you on that day in that place? Where would you be? And then I think if I don't speak to the people that God puts me around, maybe that's God's plan for that day for me and that person. Uh, go to the next passage. I'll get through this. How fired up is he about dwelling in you? Next thing, does he find you exciting or boring? Really? You know, if I have the Holy Spirit, I, I know some disciples, I love them, God bless them, I hope they grow. But there are some disciples I be hate to be living in. Not because they're down at the it's a bad place, doing bad things. They're just not doing what God wants to do, and that is to get people saved. And that comes about by preaching the gospel, and that comes out by the Spirit doing it, and He's going to do it through you and me. God did not drop this book out of heaven with a burgundy uh, cover and edges that are sort of gold still. He didn't drop this out of heaven for everybody to read. Because he knew that the message had to be read a different way. you got to have two things read at the same time. The book and whoever is sharing it. Because when you study with someone, they're reading both at the same time. They're reading what's in the Bible, the black and white. But then they are also reading the red and yellow and black and white. Whoever it is that is delivering it to them, and they want to know, does this match up? You know, one of the guys I love so much in life is a California uh, guy named Hiddleston. Uh, he was in L.A. for a long time. He's married to Al and Gloria's youngest daughter. But Steve is quite a guy. He's, got, he, he's a spiritual guy. He's a Nathaniel type guy. And uh, anyway, he's such an interesting guy. He was always interested in religion. And he went to church. He was a good athlete. All his family, they were all into athletics and stuff. But anyway, Steve was looking for some God stuff. And so he went to a lot of different churches. He was an athlete, so he did the fellowship of Christian athletes. He tried this, he tried that. And it just didn't scratch the itch. He even, I think, was either doing a double major or a minor in religious studies at UCLA. But he just never found it. One day, a guy on campus said, we got this Bible talk at our dorm. Uh, how about coming tonight? So he said, I'd love to. We always like to hear that, right? Uh, I'd love to. He said, I went one night. And I listened to what they taught, but he said, I watched those dudes. And he says, I saw a group of college young men that were dead serious about living it. And in one night, he said, this is it. These are the ones. He got baptized a short time later. But it was the people. It's what he saw. 
Maybe my relationship with my wife way back in the day helped some of these youngins to decide they want to get married. Uh, that's good if our example helped in that way. But people are looking at us all the time. They want to see how we handle everything. You mark it down. There, there's a really long list of people that have watched Kelly May in dealing with her husband's death. People want to know, how are you doing it? It wasn't just a hospice person uh, that said what he said. There were a lot of people watching. They're always watching. Especially when we go through the hard times, guys. That's why the Bible talks about the redemptive value of suffering. That's why Paul said, I fell up in my body. Uh, the suffering of Jesus. He knew that in the way we handle the pain, that's what draws people in. It's not just because we're good looking and slick and fun and, 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 and go out and do whatever crazy thing. That's all well and good. But what they're really watching in you and me is, what are they doing with the pain? Uh, that's a lesson we all need because I hate pain. I don't like it. When I go to the doctor, I want a good report. I went to the doctor last April. Regular checkup. I know the routine. I've been going to doctors a long time. He put the stethoscope on after we do a few other things. You know, he puts the stethoscope on and he starts moving it around like he always does. But then he stayed right here for a long time. I'm thinking, move that dude. Move. And he moved it, and then he came back. He said, you know, Mr. Ferguson, boy, I think this calls me Gordon. He said, you know, Gordon, he said, uh, you got a murmur. That means you got a leaky valve in there. He says, not that abnormal for a guy your age, but uh, you, you got a problem. And then after that, he sends this little Filipino nurse in. Uh, to give me an EKG. And I like Filipinos a lot. My daughter-in-law is Filipina and my three grandsons, you could drop them off in Manila. They'd never know they had any, uh, any, any white man in them. But uh, this little nurse comes in and gives me an EKG. And then, before I leave, she comes back in to give me the final stuff and she says, uh, by the way, said EKG is different too. And here's what the doctor said for you to do. So the doctor didn't even come and tell me this. I'm thinking, gee. So the next day I go to take an echocardiogram. And I had to see the doctor in there and said, hey, hey, doc. Come here. I, I said, you know, this, this girl tells me I, I got a, a, a bad EKG or something's different about it. Uh, a little surprised she didn't come in to tell me that. He says, well, he said, true. I told her to tell you it wasn't that serious. He said, well, she missed that one. So after a while, she comes back in, Mr. Ferguson, I'm so sorry. I said, yeah, that was some 24 hours, babe. So anyway, I, I, don't, I don't like pain. I didn't like those reports. I've taken so many tests. I'm taking two new kind of medicines. But people are watching. Gordon, how are you going to handle this? And uh, I, I've got a lot of brothers. I, I found out just before I was going down to teach in the Philippines, down in one of the provinces. And some of the brothers said, listen, man, the, the, the medical stuff down here is it's not that good in Manila. You get down where you are, you don't want to go down there and have a heart problem. We don't think you should come. I said, listen, I told a doctor I was going to the Philippines, and he didn't say don't go. So I will be there. And just rest assured, I would much rather come down and die now in Cebu than die one day in diapers while I'm drooling. People got to watch how you handle that. It took me three months to get used to it. And after three months, I thought, good. We're, we're all good here. I'm talking to my wife more now about, you know, if I quote what to do. Uh, but uh, uh, 
it, it's good to come to peace with that. It's not hard to imagine Steve being totally at peace with dying. Because actually, uh, I'm at peace with that. It took three months. One of the problems I've got besides the, uh, the leak is I've got an aneurysm. An upper aorta aneurysm. They get to a certain size, they break, you die 100% of the time. Uh, so I felt like I've got a time bomb up in my chest. You know, if this thing goes off, I'm gone. And uh, so it took three months. After that, I don't worry about it. You know, I've always said, I love preaching. You, you know that. You're wondering, is this sucker ever going to shut up? Uh, but uh, I, I love to preach. And my dream is to die preaching. about the Bible. I love God. I love the fact the Spirit's in me and He's moving me and helping me. And every time I get up, there are days I get up and I feel terrible. I think it's the last thing I'd like to be doing today, God. I'd rather be anywhere but here for a lot of reasons. But I said, God, this is your gift you gave me. You use it. I don't deserve it, but they do. Turn the thing on and let's go. And God, God and I, we, we got such a, a good relationship. We get to talk about a lot. You know? I think God wants us to be as open with Him as we are with each other, right? So I never feel bad about just telling God what I think. I started prayer times off. God, this is the last thing I'd like to be doing right now is praying. And I know you already know that, but I just need to say it. But I pray by the time I'm done, I'll be in a very different place, and he always answers that prayer. That's the way the psalmist was. You know, most every psalm, it can start off terrible, end up good. Except for Psalm 88. The darkness is my closest friend. That, you know, that didn't end up good. All the rest of them end up really good. Because that's what prayer does for you. We start off in one place, we end up in another. Next slide. i got to hurry up here. The Spirit wants to stay. He seeks us out. He told Philip, you go and find the guy in that chariot, and you speak to him. He sent him directly to find the guy. Next, next one. He convicts us. The Holy Spirit came to convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. Next verse. Uh, the way that he convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come, one way, there's more than one, one way is clearly through the Word. Because when he was reasoning with Felix, it said he reasoned with him of self-control, righteousness, and judgment to come. Almost exactly like John 16. And Felix was terrified. He said, get out of here. I'll talk to you later. Go away. And so he sent him away. Next passage. He works hard to keep us saved. And this is the one we're most interested in right now. He indwells us. We know that. Next. Uh, he is our seal. Back in the day, you know, you wrote the letter. They didn't have those nice uh, self-sticks or the liquors either. And so uh, you dropped a piece of wax on and put the king's signet in it, and that meant it's his. So we are sealed by God. I can't tell by looking whether you've been sealed or not. I don't know whether you're saved or not, but the spirit world, the good and the bad side, they know. They can see. You have been sealed with the Holy Spirit, and the spirit world can look and say, see immediately who's saved and who is not. Next one. He is a deposit. That's like earnest money. That means you put the money down, you'll be back, you'll do the deal. That's what God has given us the Spirit to do is to guarantee if we just hang on to Him, we are going to go to heaven. We are going to inherit. Next one. He strengthens us. Uh, Ephesians 3 talks about being strengthened in the inner man. Most of us know that passage fairly well, but it talks about the Spirit strengthening us in the inner man. The next slide up there is a jogging slide. And uh, the reason, uh, by the way, I, I don't do PowerPoint nearly as well as Michael Wood does, so he fixed all this up and found me a jogger. But uh, back when I first started jogging at about age 40, uh, I, uh, I started off, 
got to three miles. And so every morning I ran three miles. I had this little guy in the Air Force that called me up and come wake me up and, and push me to do it. And I finally got hooked on it for a while. Uh, it's one of those addictions that didn't last long enough. But I got addicted for a while. And we'd run every day. And so one day he said, okay, all we've run is three miles. Let's go out and run five or six miles on Saturday. I said, man, I can barely make three miles. I'm going to do that. Uh, he said, come on, we'll do it. I'll be over Saturday. So we took off jogging. And we started going, and, and, and we started going down this hill. And I thought to myself, this is not good. You know, because... The, the law of jogging says what goes down must come up. You know, you know it in reverse, right? What goes up must come down. But anyway, what goes down must come up. And I'm thinking, that's a long hill. I don't know how I'm going to get up that hill. We got back, and as we're approaching this hill, I said, I can't do it. Man, I've already run further than I've ever run. I cannot run up that hill. Oh, yes, you can. He kept on trying to persuade me. I finally said, all right, I'm going to give it my best shot. I don't think I can do it, but I'm going to give it my best shot. I won't quit. I started going up the hill. This little guy, he was strong as an ox. He, he just eased in behind me, put his hand in the small of my back, and helped me up the hill. And I thought, you know, that's pretty much how the Spirit works. If you just dig your heels in and say, no, I'm not doing it. The Spirit is not going to make you do anything because He will not violate your free will. That's what makes you a human and not a robot. He will not violate your free will. But if you want to do it, in your heart of hearts, you want to do it for God. And you at least start doing it. Holy Spirit is going to pick it up and help you do what you can't do. He won't do for you what you can, but He will do for you what you can. And He will do it all of your life in some amazing ways. Next slide. Uh, he works to keep us saved. He intercedes for us, Romans 8. Uh, next one. We already went through that. He acts providentially for us. I love this one. <laughs> He often acts in ways that are very delightful to us, leading us into the blessings of God. He works providentially. I was talking to Mike and Libby last night uh, as we were eating way too much food. I forgot to pray for the sin of gluttony, but anyway, I'll do it later. Uh, anyway, we're talking last night about our time in San Diego, which was a fantastic time. Uh, way back in the mid-80s. Such a beautiful time. Keep in mind that my wife is this 
sweet, petite little angel. And after I said that, she looked at me and she said, Gordon, this church is not going to do it. We are wasting our time. We might as well get out of here. <laughs> after I picked myself up off the floor, that was a shock.
Fellowship of the 